revolutionary salutations to the people of Zimbabwe. Comrades, welcome to Hashtag Shaping Politics. This is yet another episode of your show. My name is Nwabizi Damlambo, your host. Comrades, we are going to talk today in the show about the politics of aid, the politics of debt, the politics of economics, what philosophers call political economy, the politics in the democratic movement. So let us get into today's show. Comrades, the contradictions in the MDC continue to unfold before our eyes. We witnessed members of the 2014 National Executive Council convening at the then harvest house, now known as Morgan Richard Changira House at number 44, Nelson Mandela, where they argued and brought out resolutions arguing that Douglas Mwonzora and others, including Tokozani Kupe and Morgan Komish, should come forth and sit before the National Executive Council. That is the 2014 structures. We also saw Douglas Mwonzora responding with a press conference dismissing the meeting of the National Executive Council. This is a worrisome trend in the politics of the opposition. At, a, at this material moment where the people of Zimbabwe expect the MDC to hold ZANU-PF to account, to organize massively to challenge the hegemon of ZANU-PF, the MDC is caught in in-house fighting. The MDC is caught in contradictions that are even devoid of any ideological standpoints or views. So no one is, is talking about the solutions to the economy within the MDC factions. No one is talking about how we are going to solve the fuel queues. No one is talking about how we are going to solve the political crisis, which has direct effects or obstacles to the economic development of Zimbabwe. So it is worrying that both factions, both camps, whatever the names they are called, the MDC is not providing strategic leadership to challenge NPF in parliament, in the senate, in local authorities, but broadly to mobilize Zimbabweans and challenge the hegemon of Zanubia. So it is a worrisome trend and we wait for the judgment by the High Court next week on Friday pertaining to the issue wherein the MDC Alliance MPs led by Charlton Wendy approached the High Court arguing that their recusal from parliament by the Speaker of Parliament was illegal or their recall where Douglas Mwonzora evoked section 129K of the Constitution recalling Tabita Kumal and others from, from parliament. So we are worried that the opposition is in disarray at a time when Zimbabwe is burning economically, politically, socially and religiously and at a time when government is not being held to account as to how it is using resources from the COVID-19 pandemic. So comrades, these are the issues in today's show and it, the worrisome trends in the MDC call for social movements, the resurgence of social movements, the movements like hashtag this gun, movements like hashtag Tajamuka, movements like hashtag this 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 flag so that the people of Zimbabwe can begin to organize and stop organizing but the economy continues to burn what do I mean when I say the economy continues to burn the Zimbabwean dollar on a worrisome trend continues to lose value but we told Mutulin Mube we told John Mangujga back then in 2018 that introducing a new currency without number one productivity but most importantly number two trust from the Zimbabweans themselves will be a fatal exercise so the interbank Market exchange rate is at 25, but the real exchange rate, which is found in the parallel market where a majority of Zimbabweans are transacting, is over 65. So one, one United States dollar gets you 65 RTGS dollars. This has led to hyperinflation as the government in actually improved or included a lot of money within money supply into the economy through the introduction of new banknotes in the form of the $10 denomination. So this has had ripple effects on inflation. So hyperinflation is recorded by old Mutual and other progressive economic institutes. Institutes actually show that hyperinflation is at a staggering 700%. The second highest inflation in the world after that of Nicolas Maduro's Venezuela. What should be done to solve the hyperinflation? I would argue that we need a productive economy. I would argue that we should scrape off the Zimbabwean dollar and revert back to the multi-currency system or join the Rand Monetary Union for at least 10 years, while at least we produce as an economy, while at least we re-industrialize, while at least we build our economic base, and most importantly, while at least we improve our financial services sector, because there's a lot of corruption in our financial services sector, there's a lot of corruption in our state parastatals, there's a lot of corruption within government, there's a lot of corruption within the private sector itself. So, so where, if we are not going to address fundamentals as, how, as to how we can resuscitate our economy, our currency will continue to plummet and Zimbabweans are aware that 2008 was terrible, 2007 was terrible, where we had $100 trillion banknotes. We had the highest inflation rate in the world. These are the signs that we are going back or sliding back 
2008. So the government must make sure they remove the Zimbabwean dollar. It has failed in, in, in April, in March, for example, the Zimbabwean dollar was one, Zimbabwean, one US dollar as to 25 Zimbabwean dollars. But fast track to May, two months down the line, it's one, one US dollar as to 65 Zimbabwean dollars. This means that low income earners or low income households have had their wages eroded by hyperinflation, meaning that the ordinary average civil servant cannot afford a decent meal cannot afford to take care of a household of five so this is a worrisome trend but coronavirus comrades is actually also led to a reconfiguring of economics the world over a reconfiguring of politics the world over i am sure and i'm certain that after this pandemic Zimbabwe will continue to struggle economically as predicted by the World Bank, as predicted by the International Monetary Fund and other international financial institutions simply because most countries will be inward looking and less countries will be willing to help other countries because countries will be trying to bring back or resuscitate the economy. So we face the risk of not getting aid. We face the risk of not getting financial assistance, even from the Chinese, because most gov governments will be worried about transforming the material conditions of their people and their economies. So the solution is for us to look inwardly. The solution, as I've always argued in previous episodes, is that we need a shared national vision. We need dialogue between social partners in this country, not between the MDC Alliance and ZANU-PF, but between all social actors within our country. If we have dialogue, it means that we have consensus. Where there is consensus, trust will be built. And where trust is built, the Zimbabwean economy will be resuscitated. And after 10 years, we can introduce our currency. For now, let us join at least the Rand Monetary Union. After all, South Africa is our biggest trading partner if we join the run monetary union it will stabilize our, our our monetary system it will stabilize even improve our fiscal our fiscal system as a country and it will also help us address the debt burden which is over 18 billion united states of america dollars way above 90 percent of our gross domestic product but how when i say productivity what do i mean we need to have value chains within the agricultural system so if our new farmers who got the land in 2000 should make sure that they are supported by the state through import substitution policies. Where there are import substitution policies, the, the end process or in the value chain, for example, you grow maize, you have a processing plant that produces conflicts from that particular maize that you grow. You grow tomatoes, so you have a factory on your farm or in a nearby town, in a nearby town where you produce the necessary tomatoes, so that we have exports and less imports. Where if we export more, we get more foreign currency. If we get more foreign currency, our government revenues improve. When our government revenues improve, we can pay our civil servants decent wages. And when we pay our, our civil servants decent wages, it means that their purchasing power is improved. Aggregate demand within the economy is improved and the whole economy will grow. Without addressing production, without addressing illicit financial flows, without addressing illicit mineral flows, Zimbabwe's economic prospects will never be the same again. So comrades, I think for today we will end here and the solutions are clear. Productivity, 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 political reforms, constitutionalism, the following of the rule of law, and stop abusing human rights, stop abusing opposition activists, stop abusing journalists. We are worried by the trends wherein we saw two journalists being brutalized by members of the security services. This is a worrisome trend and we all know that we need international, international goodwill as a country. And for us to get the necessary international goodwill and support, we have to respect our own constitution which guarantees freedom of expression, which guarantees the rights of journalists as codified in section 61, 62 and 63 of the Zimbabwean constitution. Without following our own laws, without following international treaties that we are obligated to follow, no one will take us seriously and no one will help us. So this is the end of the show and we welcome comments and we welcome those who share the video not only on YouTube but within various social media platforms. And we actually welcome those who disagree with the shows, with the views that are expressed in this show, so that the debate is enraged. I salute the men and women who make this particular show a, a success, and we say aluta continue to the feed ZW. Thank you so much, comrades. Revolutionary salutations once again. Revolutionary salutations to the people of Zimbabwe. Comradely salutations to the suffering masses of our people. Comrades, welcome to your favorite show, Hashtag Shaping Politics, with me, your host, Ngobizi Tamlambo. Today, in today's episode, I'm going to talk about International Working Day and the workers' rights in our country, in Africa and beyond. I'm also going to talk about the limitations of the state in response to COVID-19, the lack of social protection for the vulnerable, 
in our society. I'm also going to talk about Professor Mutubi Mube's letter of plea to the international financial institutions, popularly known as the Bretton Woods institutions, which include the World Bank, the IMF, and other members of the Paris Club. So let's get into today's show. Comrades, I wish all the workers the world over, not only in Zimbabwe, a happy International Workers' Day, recognizing the efforts, the frantic efforts that the workers the world over are putting in these trying times, especially essential services workers like our healthcare professionals in the medical field who are battling this deadly enemy called coronavirus. But the Zimbabwean worker continues to face challenges, challenges that range from poor salaries, challenges that range from poor working conditions, challenges that also include poverty, vulnerability, and the inability of the employer on, on the part of government, number one, but also the employer in the private sector. We are all aware, and it is a worrisome trend that the majority of the working people in our country, be they in the public or private sectors, are earning meager salaries far below the 5,000 RTGS poverty datum line threshold. This is a worrisome trend and it has propagated poverty, it has propagated insecurity, it has propagated a deterioration and a bastardization of livelihoods for the working poor and the working people of our country. 95% of our people pursuant to the latest International Labor Force survey done by the International Labor Organization in 2014 argues that out of every five Zimbabweans, four are in the informal economy, which means that the informal economy is what is holding up the Zimbabwean economy. But in the context of coronavirus, this has meant that the informal sector traders are confined to their homes as a result of the lockdown. They are also confined to their homes because the city of Harare and other local authorities in the major towns and cities have decided to ruthlessly and recklessly vandalize vending stores that the informal traders and vendors use in our economy. This is a worrisome trend considering that 95%, as I indicated earlier on, are surviving in the informal economy. Number two, with regards to our workers, the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Union has continued to argue that the ministry, the parent ministry responsible for labor and social welfare is failing to cushion workers who have been retrenched as a result of the COVID-19 induced lockdown. We are aware that hundreds of companies have begun job layoffs in contravention of the Labor Act, in contravention of provisions in the national constitution which guarantee job security and safety for all, even within the context of an epidemic. We are all aware that the statutory instruments with regards to coronavirus did not speak clearly to the issue of a labor market policy. So it is a worrisome trend and we hope that Professor Paul Mavima, the responsible minister for workers, the responsible minister for social welfare, talks to his counterpart in the Ministry of Finance, Professor Mtuli Ngube, to make sure that all those who have been retrenched as a result of the lockdown are cushioned and paid at least 5,500 RTGS dollars so that they are able to pay rentals, they are able to purchase drugs, they are able to purchase food. Comrades, we are also aware that the president of Madagascar recently made revelations that his country has discovered a herb that can cure the deadly coronavirus. The response from the Global North, in particular the World Health Organization, has been that of dismissal, has been that of total contempt to what Africa can offer in terms of coming up with solutions that can address this mess. But why is the World Health Organization complacent and why did it easily come to a conclusion that the Madagascar president's herb does not work or does not cure coronavirus? It should be understood in the context of neoliberal a capitalist the neoliberal capitalist economic model. Comrades, wherein the pharmaceutical industrial complex, as it is known, does not want any solutions that do not come from the natural environment, in particular from us in the global south, because the pharmaceutical industrial complex benefits millions, if not billions of dollars annually, and benefits from diseases and pandemics and outbreaks such as Ebola, such as COVID-19. So they are waiting for their own global North scientists to come up with a coronavirus vaccine, not to have Africa, which is over 1 billion people, to provide that particular virus. Because for them, Africa is a market wherein they can come and test and later on sell those particular vaccines. So we expect the chairperson, the president of South Africa, President Cyril Ramaphosa, to obviously make a clarion call to all African presidents and also call upon African scientists and universities that are into research to embrace the Madagascar remedy so that Africa can sell that particular drug or particular herb to the global north and build the economy of Madagascar, which will have ripple effects in the value chain for the continent of Africa. Comrades, also a worrisome trend which is developing in our country is the crisis of hunger. A majority of our people are complaining. We have seen posts on social media 
of people pleading with the government to cushion them with food packages and food handouts because as we are battling the coronavirus, a second virus has emanated in the motherland, which is the virus of hunger. The World Food Program itself recorded that 7 million Zimbabweans are in dire need of food aid as a matter of agents. This is a clear example of state failure wherein the government which has registered surpluses in the context of budget surpluses that the Minister of Finance has been talking about on his Twitter line. It is worrisome that he is not channeling those particular funds to cushion the poor and make sure that we have adequate food for our people. It is also an indictment of the Fast Track Land Reform Program of 2000 that 20 years after the institution or the revolution of the Fast Track Land Reform Program, Zimbabwe cannot feed itself. Zimbabwe is struggling to feed its people. It is then worries and actually raises questions on the importance or the significance of the land reform program if it is failing as a result to feed our own people. Professor Mutulinube, lastly, wrote a letter to the international financial institutions, in particular the World Bank, the IMF, and members of the Paris Club, the Deutsche Bank, the Bank of England, as well as the Bank of France, begging that the restrictions on Zimbabwe's access, especially to the IMF and the World Bank, what they call the special drawing rights, be reinstituted because the country faces a crippling crisis, not only induced by COVID-19, but induced, as he acknowledges in the leaked letters, by the government's incapability of instituting political and economic reforms that could have revived our economy even before COVID-19. But the worrisome thing is that the professor is not clear as to when and how the political and economic reforms that he promises the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and other international creditors, when those reforms will be instituted. It is not also clear on the indigenous additions or ideas that the people of Zimbabwe can give for us to solve the crisis. It seems that the government is bent on pleasing international institutions as opposed to organizing and mobilizing its own people towards a developmental state where the state uses its autonomy to mobilize all social, social actors and have a genuine process of national dialogue. So some of us are clear that the international financial institutions might not help Zimbabwe, cognizant of the fact that the government of Zimbabwe has set already a very bad precedent in terms of debt defaulting, dating back to the year 1990. So we continue to call upon the government to institute an internal process of national dialogue that will involve political parties in the opposition forces, that will involve academia, that will involve civil society, that will involve students, that will involve informal sector traders, that will also involve peasants and people like me, so that at the end of the day, our solutions are not exogenous but our solutions are endogenously driven to allow Zimbabwe to develop because we have got the potential as a country. 67 minerals are what are deposited in our motherland. We've got one of the best climatic conditions, not only in Africa, but in the global south. So it means that regardless, notwithstanding the fact that we have got immense natural resources, what we are witnessing is what scholars call the natural resources case, wherein countries blessed immensely with natural resources are poorly managed or are poorly run and the majority of their people live far below one US dollar a day. So the solution to the long-standing problems of Zimbabwe lie in Zimbabweans, not in external factors. External players can come in after Zimbabweans themselves rally around a clear national developmental project or a plan to rescue the country. Thank you very much comrades. Subscribe to the channel, share the view, share the video and your comments and your feedback will be greatly appreciated and addressed. Revolutionary salutations to the African intellectuals who are toiling each and every day to make sure that dictatorships in the continent are fought and defeated. Aluta continua. Long live the workers' movement in Africa. Long live the workers' movement in Zimbabwe, I think. Revolutionary greetings to the people of Zimbabwe, revolutionary salutations to the suffering masses of our people, greetings to all the progressive forces in Africa and beyond, revolutionary happy birthday to comrade Quintin Buyesenidlos of the Economic Freedom Fighters of South Africa. Comrades, welcome to your hashtag Shaping Politics show, where your host is Mobizi Damlamba, and today we are going to look at the MDC, MDCT, MDC Alliance fiasco. We are going to look at the COVID-19 crisis in Zimbabwe and how it has deepened inequality in our society. We are going to look at the Malawi Supreme Court's nullification of President Peter Wamtarika's election 
as president of that country and the implications that the judgment has on democracy, not only in Malawi and Southern Africa, but in Africa and the global South as a whole. But lastly, I'm going to give an alternative and give the develop democratic developmental state as the only alternative that can rescue Zimbabwe from the present economic quagmire and economic precipice. Let us get into today's show. Comrades, the COVID-19 or what they call coronavirus is actually exposed further the deepening inequality in our country with regards to access to healthcare. We are equally worried, comrades, that a majority of our people are failing to be tested as government has taken a laissez-faire attitude or a laissez-faire attitude actually in testing the, the people in Zimbabwe and actually lifting up or relaxing the lockdown measures that the president had initially announced. It is worrisome that we have relaxed the lockdown measures against the backdrop or a context where we are not fully aware or we have not yet fully tested at least third or a half of the population of Zimbabwe. So this is a worrisome trend and we call upon the government to make sure that the donations that we received from Alibaba and the ventilators that have been donated are fully utilized in public healthcare institutions. We're equally worried that the inequality gap in terms of access to healthcare has been exemplified through the construction of an elite medical facility to treat political and business elites and those politically connected to the ruling establishment in a, in a facility in Mount Pleasant. We are worried that the government is not prioritizing refurbishing and re-equipping our public healthcare centers in district hospitals, in polyclinics, and our major referral hospitals, that is Paririnya to a group of hospitals, and Arare Hospital, or what they call Mbuyani Handa, or Salim Gabe Hospital, I do not know the particular name. But what is also worrisome is that Section 76 of the Zimbabwean Constitution, which clearly gives every Zimbabwean citizen and a permanent resident of Zimbabwe the right to access healthcare, is being abrogated on a daily basis. We are equally aware that medical professionals in the medical profession are complaining each and every day of the lack of personal protective clothing to make sure that they are safeguarded from contracting coronavirus. We're equally also worried about the ever-rising increases in the cases of malaria in Zimbabwe. Reports from the Ministry of Health and Child Care clearly stipulate or show that Zimbabwe is experiencing a terrible malaria outbreak and if not handled with care, with the help of development partners in the World Health Organization and other partners in the world in the medical fraternity, Zimbabweans also face Zimbabweans also face a risk not only from coronavirus, which is deadly already, but from malaria. Comrades also, we are equally worried that the government has not been transparent to a great extent with regards to explaining and showing the people how the donations received by development partners and well wishers in terms of access or help in terms of coronavirus, how those things have been handled. The Sunday Mail of last week partially reviewed some donations that were given to the state by well-wishers and also resources that have been used by the government through the taxes or what they have ring-faced in the form of the 2% tax. But the full disclosure of the entire value chain in terms of the coronavirus response task force mechanisms has not been transparent. This is in violation of the constitution of Zimbabwe, which clearly stipulates that transparency, accountability, are some of the key cornerstones of what makes Zimbabwe a nation, democratic, plural, and constitutional republic. So we are equally worried and we continue to call upon the government to be responsible enough and publish each and every donation in radios and in TVs and also working in particular with civil society organizations so that there is transparency in the management of not only public, public finances but also donations made to the public through well wishes like Alibaba and other Zimbabweans in the progressive diaspora. Comrades, the movement for democratic change since the death of its founding father and leader, Dr. Morgan Richard Changreme, is so rest in eternal peace, continues to experience contradictions, but these contradictions have implications on the democratization struggle on which the people of Zimbabwe have placed their trust in that particular party. We are worried that Douglas Mwanzora and Morgan Komish, also including engineer Elias Mudzure, decided to take in a route of fighting the 2,6 million people who voted for advocate Nelson Chamisa and decided to break away from the party. But they've not only decided to break away from the party, they've gone a step further and worked in cahoots with the ruling establishment and recalled members of the Movement for Democratic Change Alliance from Parliament. Four of the MPs who have been recalled from Parliament by Douglas Monzora's letter written to the Speaker of Parliament invoking Section 129K of the Constitution of Zimbabwe. But the most worrisome trend or the most worrisome thing for the ordinary person who voted for the MDC Alliance is that the MDC Alliance MPs have been recalled by an MDCT president called Tokozan Kupe who 
formed their own party in the year 2018, which contested in the political political debacle that was there in 2018 during the July 31 election. So what is worrisome to the ordinary person like me is if I voted for MDC Alliance, for example, why is it that the MDCT working in Kahoots with ZANU-PF has decided to recall MPs who, are, who belong to another political party? This trend is actually cementing ZANU-PF's long-standing game or a long-standing strategy of making Zimbabwe a one-party state. Remember that when we became independent in the year 1980, on the 18th of April to be precise, Robert Mugabe, then Prime Minister, was actually going throughout the country stating that his intention or the intention of ZANU was to make Zimbabwe a one-party state. This idea was fought by the great revolutionary comrade Edgar Tuboitekere who formed the Zimbabwe United Movement, which was later on thrashed and did not gain political traction in the Forum Party and other political formations until the formation of the MDC in 1999. The struggle has always been against the formation of a one-party state in Zimbabwe. The struggle has always been against kleptocracy. The struggle has always been against corruption. The struggle has always been for the betterment of Zimbabwe and making it a truly genuine democratic developmental state to realize the aspirations of liberation struggle, which are to make Zimbabwe comrades a totally utilitarian, democratic, egalitarian state. So we are worried about the machinations in the MDC. We continue to call upon the comrades in the MDC, in particular engineer Elias Mudzuri, Douglas Munzari, and Morgan Komish, to immediately stop their actions, which are retrogressive and counterproductive to the democratization project. If they do not, if they fail to yield to the majority of the voices which are calling them to sit down with advocate Chamisa and the rest of the alliance team and negotiate and put the house in order. We call upon advocate Nelson and Chamisa to do the noble thing and form a new political party, probably a dream team Zimbabwe that can actually relegate the legacy issues in the MDC and allow Chamisa to start afresh with new people and people with new ideas because the MDC as a brand has been tainted. So it is my honest opinion that if these shenanigans continue, if the Monzora shenanigans continue, it is upon incumbent upon advocate Nelson Chamisa to form yet another political party. But this political party is highlighted by Job Scala in his recent press conference that they are consulting civil society, they are consulting churches, they are consulting peasants, they are consulting members of society from different facets of life should be a all-encompassing new political party, a dream team Zimbabwe, that will have values of social democracy, of freedom, justice, and solidarity, values that will uphold and actually respect the tenets of the constitution of Zimbabwe and that of the new political party. It is a waste of time to go to the captured courts and it will also drag time because by 2023, the MDC would not have put its house in order. So maybe the noble thing for Advocate Chamisa is to form a new political party. This might not be a popular opinion that others may not hold, but this is my own respectful view in regards to how events are unfolding. Because when Parliament sits again on the 19th of May, mark my words, Douglas Monzora is going to recall further and some of the MDC Alliance members of Parliament, notwithstanding the fact that they have already said that they are withdrawing from parliament, but they will put it in record and withdraw members of parliament from that particular from that particular parliament, which is after all useless because NPF already controls that parliament with over two-thirds majority. Comrades, the Malawi Electoral Commission was thrown under the bus by the noble judges of the Supreme Court of Malawi when they announced through their chief justice that the election of President Peter Wamtarika in the last year's election was not democratic, was not in line with Sadiq principles on elections and democracy, was not in line with African Union principles on democracy, was not in line with the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, was not in line with the international instruments at UN level that guide elections. We applaud the Malawi Supreme Court for taking the courage, which is not common in Africa, for judges to nullify the election of a president. We applaud the Supreme Court of Malawi and we continue to call upon other courts, superior courts in Africa to take a leaf and a precedent from the people of Malawi and the court of Malawi. It then shows the extent to which Malawi is deepening democracy. It also then shows the power that people have. Remember the people of Malawi through the progressive movements in the opposition and civil society have been on a constant struggle of demonstrations, a constant struggle of peaceful protests denouncing the election, the announcement by the Malawi Electoral Commission that Peter Mtarika had won the presidential vote. So it is a welcome trend and we uphold and actually thank the Supreme Court of Malawi through the Chief Justice for nullifying the presidential election of Peter Wamtarega. We welcome that decision and we call upon the Malawians in the opposition to be united and actually 
make sure that in the next 150 days when the election is held, the opposition will take a win and allow Malawi to be a democratic state that will see the economy improving. And this will have implications equally on the Sadek region and its stand on plural democratic practice. Comrades, also the economic crisis in Zimbabwe continues to widen. We are aware and saddened by the hikes in the prices of data. We are aware that Econet, the leading mobile telecommunications giant, actually hiked its data prices with a whooping 225%, leaving a greater majority of Zimbabweans with uncertainty, a greater majority of Zimbabweans inability to access the internet at a critical time like the national lockdown induced by COVID-19 where education is being accessed online. Jobs are being done online virtually, what they are now calling, what they are now calling working online or digi-work to quote the International Labour Organization. The worrisome trend of hiking data prices further deepens inequality and access to education and other services that internet, the internet provides for the greater majority of Zimbabweans. Remember that before the Price acts by the data price acts by Econet, a greater majority had access to the internet. This allowed e-learning, in particular for university students and to some extent for high school students. So we call upon the government through portras to rethink and ask Econet to rethink the decision to hike the data prices. And also we also call upon the government to make sure that internet access is democratized in Zimbabwe and allow state-owned parastatals like Tier 1 and Net 1 to make sure that they broaden the access to internet in our country. But the solution or the problem actually is not with Econet. This long-standing problem is with the economic situation in our country, the macroeconomic imbalances that we witness in our country, as also acknowledged by Finance Minister Professor Mtulinube in his letters to the IMF and the World Bank, that Zimbabwe's economy will contract by 25% if debt relief and fiscal help does not come from international donors and the international financial institutions. So beyond Econet's price hikes in data, it should be understood that fundamentally what is wrong in Zimbabwe is not Econet as a company per se, but how we have been managing our economy or how we have been failing to manage our economy it, or turning it into a productive economy that creates jobs, that then creates aggregate demand. Aggregate demand that then also improve purchasing power of the worker. Purchasing power that would then also raise revenue in the form of taxes for the government itself. Taxes which would then be used in turn to reinvest in healthcare, to reinvest in education, to reinvest in public infrastructure. So the call then from us is that government should consider how it can productively improve the economy, which will take me to the last segment of the show, the alternative. Comrades, what should be the alternative to the current economic crisis that we're witnessing in Zimbabwe? The Zimbabwean dollar lost its value between March 11, March 11 and April 11, 2020 by a whopping 50%, which means that if in April the Zimbabwean, if in March the Zimbabwean dollar was trading at 25 RTGS dollar to 1 US dollar, in April it has now been 1 US dollar to 50 Zimbabwean dollars, a clear sign that the fiscal and monetary system in our country is not working. Comrades are also aware that Econet's agents, EcoCash agents have had their accounts frozen by the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe and the governor, Dr. John Manguja, said that Econet is running a Ponzi scheme. So 6,000 EcoCash agents have been frozen. This is a worrisome trend because the problem is not Econet fundamentally that is affecting the exchange rate. What is affecting the exchange rate is the lack of a stable macroeconomic environment. They are saying that the new economic stimulus packages announced by the head of state is 18 billion Zimbabwean dollars, which had converted at the ex existing interbank market rate is around 720 million US dollars. The, the question that Zimbabweans have is, where is the 18 billion dollars going to come from, the stimulus package going to come from, when the government itself is actually acknowledged that it is looking for money, it is begging for money from the international financial institutions. So what we want is an honest government, a government that is honest enough to acknowledge that the economy is not performing and it needs help. But the help should not come from outside per se, the help should come from Zimbabweans in through ideas and through domestic resource mobilization and respecting domestic investors or what some call domestic capitalists. So the alternative that I will proffer is making sure that Zimbabwe becomes a democratic developmental state. What are the tenets of a democratic developmental state? A democratic developmental state does not rely on foreign aid. A democratic developmental state relies on domestic capital and domestic capital in the form of domestic companies, domestic industries, but also Taxes raised domestically. A democratic developmental state's economic outlook also includes an import substitution policy. What do I mean? If you look at countries like Japan, countries like Malaysia, countries like Taiwan, the East Asian Tigers, they had what they called at their economic peak, what they called an import substitution policy, which meant that 51% of the economy was owned 
by the state and 49% was left to foreign investors. This is a kind of policy that we need so that we protect our local or infant industries from the ravages of foreign, foreign investment. Foreign investment will come, but it should be regulated. So a democratic developmental state who have an interventionist state, the state should play a leading role in the economy. This should, these are some of the solutions. We will not exhaust them in this particular episode. In the next episode, we'll go further and explain the alternative, the democratic developmental state alternative. So thank you very much for watching today's show. And always remember that it is the duty of intellectuals to expose the lies of government and to always to tell the truth. For in terms of pandemics, in terms of crisis, our duty as intellectuals is to continue to hold government to account for we are protected by section 61 of the constitution of Zimbabwe, which gives us academic freedom, but also freedom of expression. Thank you very much, comrades. Enjoy the show and subscribe to the channel. I think. Revolutionary salutations to the people of Zimbabwe. Revolutionary salutations to all the progressive forces not only in Zimbabwe, but in the African continent and the progressive forces in the global north. Comrades, welcome to Hashtag Shaping Politics, yet another episode that we are recording today amidst a crisis that ever depends in our country economically, politically and socially. The MDC is in trouble, the MDC Alliance is in trouble, the MDC team is in trouble. The entire MDC brand itself is in, is in trouble after the High Court ruled that the MDC Alliance is not a, a juristic persona, it cannot be sued at law. Whereas the previous day, another High Court judge had ruled that the MDC Alliance is a political party and should receive money from the Political Parties Finances Act. Comrades also witnessed the brutal murder of George Floyd by the ruthless racist white police officers in Minneapolis in the United States of America. And we also witnessed President Donald Trump the fascist who is ruling the United States of America, further spewing racist slurs on Twitter and fueling the racist struggles in the United States of America. So we are in solidarity with our American brothers and sisters, especially from the black community. Comrades, also during the week, corruption scandals or what I term COVID gate has actually rocked Zimbabwe as the streets of Twitter and various media platforms or forums were filled with scandals that actually associate a certain company with violating procurement procedures and regulations and over-inflating prices of personal protective clothing in the fight against COVID-19. Wopo Chingono and journalists in the Zimbabwe Morning Post actually exposed and comrades are encouraged to read around and see what is happening within the context of the procurement of protective personal clothing in COVID-19 by the government of Zimbabwe. We are also equally worried that there is no transparency in the management of our public finances. There is no transparency in how the donations donated by Jack Ma to fight COVID-19 have been used by the government. So, so these and other issues are in today's show. Let's get into the show, comrades. Thank you so much for joining us and for the fantastic feedback that you continue to give us on the corridors of our YouTube channel. But today, let me address the Minister of Youth, Arts, Sports and Culture and Recreation's $17 million RTGS dollar youth fund that was proposed or disbursed by the Minister of Finance to the Minister of Youth and made an announcement to by Kesti Coventry on the 4th of May 2020 that a $17 million youth fund has been set aside and young people who are into business manufacturing, young people who will be into manufacturing protective personal clothing to fight or combat COVID-19 were the intended beneficiaries. Comrades, it is almost a month down the line. The Minister of Youth is yet to give us yet another press conference or to publish the beneficiaries of the said youth fund. It is worrisome considering that Zimbabwe is traditionally characterized by corruption. Zimbabwe is traditionally characterized by lack of transparency. We expected Kesti Covent, an Olympic gold medalist, to do things differently, to do things differently. But actually and ironically, she has failed to publish who has benefited, how many young people have benefited. Equally, the Zimbabwe Youth Council which was mandated by the Minister of Sports, the Minister of Youth, to administer this particular $17 million youth fund, has failed to actually tell young people in the country in financial statements, in, through financial reports, as to the number of beneficiaries and how that money was disbursed. It is shocking that of a recent survey conducted by the Zimbabwe Youth Council itself and other progressive youth-led civic society organizations, a greater majority of young people, number one, we're not aware of the existence of that particular youth fund. Number two, they are not even aware how 
they are supposed to apply and who has benefited. We are worried that the bureaucratic bottlenecks that characterize the Ministry of Youth and in particular the Youth Empower Bank in disbasing these funds has also deterred young people from accessing this fund. Young people were expected to benefit 3,000 to 5,000 Zimbabwean dollars by May the 4th. And you and I know that Zimbabwe is a hyperinflationary environment. As of today, hyperinflation is at a record 736% which means that 3,000 RTGS dollars, if young people are to get it today, what business will, young, will a young person start with 3,000 RTGS? What manufacturing will a young person start with 3,000 RTGS? But notwithstanding the amount promised by the Ministry of Youth, what is also more worrying is that the $17 million youth fund proposal by the Ministry of Youth does not cater for young people in the informal economy. You and I, if you read, and a greater majority of young people do read, if you read the recent labor force survey by the International Labor Organization, it clearly articulates the fact that the greater majority or percentage share of labor is found in the informal economy, and that is which characterizes those aged between the ages of 15 and 35. So it means a greater majority of young people in this country are in the informal economy. Therefore, for the youth fund not to address Youth in the informal economy, it's an assassination of justice. It's an affront on Section 20 of the Constitution of Zimbabwe, which obliges the government through all its agencies, including the responsible Minister of Youth, to make sure that young people benefit from government economic empowerment programs, employment creation, among other things. So this fund has failed to serve its purpose. It has failed the litmus test of transparency. It has failed the litmus test of accountability as enunciated in Section 298 of the Constitution of Zimbabwe, which talks about good, the principles of good public finance management, equally read as well with the Public Finance Management Act, the procurement regulation laws of our country. So the Youth Fund Minister Kesti Coventry, we need transparency, we need accountability. Publish in radios, publish in newspapers, publish in various youth-led organizations that have WhatsApp groups and Twitter and Facebook. We are on Twitter, actually, Honorable Minister. Why don't you publish a list of the young people who benefited from the youth, from the youth fund? After you publish it, tell us how they use that money and the monitoring and evaluation mechanism put in place by your ministry and the Zimbabwe Youth Council to make sure that those funds are not abused and those funds are not beneficial to members or youth members of the Zimbabwe ruling party, which is known as ZANU-PF. Because historically and traditionally, we are aware of the abuse of youth activities and youth projects meant for the entire youth in the country that have been abused by a political party. We are aware of the economic empowerment laws of Robert Mugabe, the Kurera Ukulenja Fund that was set aside to benefit youth in 2015, in 2016, in 2017. But to date, not a greater majority of young people have actually participated and benefited from such a fund. So we need transparency, we need accountability. And without transparency and accountability, Zimbabwe won't be an upper middle income economy because those who are supposed to be productively involved in productive or labor absorptive work who are young people are sitting idle at their homes, abusing drugs, failing to access education. So the youth fund should be revisited and if need be, I call for an independent commission of inquiry led by respected lawyers in our society, respected forensic auditors, respected accountants locally and most importantly, the use of the Office of the Auditor General to immediately audit how the youth fund has been disbased and who benefited, how they benefited, and are they politically affiliated to the ruling establishment. Every young person in Zimbabwe should benefit and every young person should not be left behind. Remember, Honorable Minister, that the Sustainable Development Goals of which Zimbabwe is a party to has one slogan which says, leave no one behind. We can't leave any young person behind, especially in the context of COVID-19, remember the young people who are in the informal economy are seated at home because of the national lockdown. And recently, the High Court of Zimbabwe ruled that the informal sector cannot reopen. This further means that the livelihoods of young people are threatened. What will be the end result? The end result will be mental health-associated diseases. And where there's mental health-associated diseases, you have depression. And where there is depression, you have suicide. We, are, we risk losing young people in this country due to depression, due 
to mental health issues and considering that actually our healthcare system is not even functional and absorbing young people in the form of new recruitment as nurses, midwives and other sectors or other critical players in the, in the medical field, our young people continue facing a destitute future, which this present government is failing to address through meaningful policies that are participated. More worryingly also, as a matter of agency, this youth fund should be immediately stopped if there are any disbasements that are going on now, they should be stopped unless and until there's transparency, there's accountability, and every young person is fully away from Zambezi to Limpopo, from Mutare, Chechegu to Harare, every part of this country. All young people should be away, especially young people in the rural areas. So, comrade, this is what I have to say. These are my comments. This, these are my views, which do not represent any political party or any organization, but my views and my, my views only on this particular issue of the youth fund. We are also worried about the continual corruption cases in our country surrounding the procurement of COVID-19 protective, personal protective clothing equipment. We are worried and we call on the Auditor General, Mrs. Mildred Shiri, to exercise as usual a constitutional mandate to audit the use or the procurement processes involving the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Health and other line ministers that are involved with procuring personal protective clothing, masks, testing kits, thermometers for our people in this country. For without transparency, without curbing corruption, and let us remember that we out of 183 countries on the Transparent, Transparent International Anti-Corruption Perception Index, Zimbabwe is on number 153. We need to do better in terms of corruption. We won't attract the much-needed capital to revitalize our industries and hope our young people get productive employment if the international community and international financial institutions and even domestically people are not confident that we are dealing with corruption. The Zimbabwe Anti-Corruption Commission should immediately, Justice Matanda Moyo should immediately institute an investigation working together with the Zimbabwe Republic Police, the CIDs of this world, the Financial Intelligence Unit, and also include the National Prosecuting Authority so that those who have violated procurement laws, public finance management laws, are brought to book. And for the first time, we want to see people being sent to jail at least for 30 to 50 years for corruption in this country. This will bring confidence among Zimbabweans in our own institutions. As the economy continues to bend comrades, the majority of our people in our rural areas are suffering. Remember that the World Food Programme argues that 7 million Zimbabweans are in dire need of food aid. What has the government done so far to cushion our people from poverty? The president promised that we will get 300 RTGS dollars, but what will 300 RTGS dollars buy in this hyperinflationary environment? We call upon the government to seriously fund the Minister of Social Welfare. Professor Paul Mavima should shape up. He said that he resigns. Professor Mutuli Nube, the Minister of Finance, he said that you resign or you increase the money that you are disbasing to the 2 million vulnerable households in our country. But cognizant of the fact that this country needs food. So comrades, these are my views on, these, on domestic issues. Let us go into, onto the international arena. The murder, the brutal murder of George Floyd by the United States police in Minneapolis is a worrisome trend. We have always argued that the American state was founded on violence. The American state was founded on slavery. The American state was founded on dispossessing the Native Americans from their land by the likes of, of, of Christopher Columbus, the likes of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Some celebrate George Washington as the father of democracy. Some celebrate Thomas Jefferson as the father of democracy. I personally do not. Those were slave owners. They owned black slaves. So what happened in Minneapolis is reflective of the structural foundation of how the American state was founded. And for a material moment in time like this where Donald Trump, a certified racist, is occupying the White House, the lives of black people in the United States of America continue to be in danger. And we call upon all Africans progressive Africans to occupy all United States of America embassies and demand that there's justice for black people in the United States of America. For after all, black lives matter. Thank you so much, comrades, for joining us. We are in solidarity with the American people, but we're also in solidarity with those who are fighting dictatorship in Zimbabwe, dictatorship in Eritrea, dictatorship in Rwanda, dictatorship in Cuba, dictatorship in Egypt under... General uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, the Egyptian revolutionaries in their social movements, especially our brothers and sisters 
in the Muslim Brotherhood political party who are every day facing persecution like those in the movement for democratic change. Our solidarity goes to Cecilia Chimbiri, Netai Marwa, and Honorable Joanna Mamombe who continue to be victims of state brutality. Ours is a brutal state which does not respect international law, human rights law, and domestic law. Chapter 4 of our constitution guarantees that we have got the right to protest, the right to freedom of expression, the right to legal representation, the right to state protection, the right to food. These are daily being violated. We call upon Zimbabweans to mobilize themselves in their numbers and continue to protect and give solidarity to the poor and vulnerable in our society. Thank you so much. And those of you who are new here, may you kindly subscribe to the channel, like the video, share it widely on the corridors of social media. We also give our revolutionary salutations to the feed ZW for making it possible for us to have a studio to record this show in and the quality of the video that we have. Thank you so much and may we share the video widely. I thank you. Revolutionary salutations to the people of Zimbabwe. Comradely salutations to all the progressive forces in Africa and Zimbabwe and beyond. Welcome to Hashtag Shaping Politics with me, your host, Ngobizi Damlambo. This is yet another episode where we dissect the politics of Zimbabwe, where we talk about the state of the economy and solutions to solve the economic crisis in our motherland. Comrades, as we are all aware, and as we all agree, and from pre previous episodes, I've always argued that for us to solve the current economic quagmire, for us to solve the current economic mess, we need to solve our politics. We need to solve the toxicity that surrounds Zimbabwean politics. What do we mean when we say we need to solve the toxicity in Zimbabwean politics? Let us have dialogue, but dialogue that is shared, dialogue that is owned by a majority of Zimbabweans. Dialogue is not a prison of the MDC alliance or whatever formation of the MDC and ZANU-PF. Dialogue should involve all Zimbabweans. And when I say all Zimbabweans, I mean all social partners from students, peasants, vendors, and those in the informal economy. But as our economy worsens, what are the solutions to address this current mess? For example, we've got a currency crisis. The Zimbabwean government, through the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, introduced the new $20 note into circulation, what they call broad money supply or in economics, what they call M3. But more worryingly, the new $20 note cannot buy a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread is now costing 68 Zimbabwean dollars, which means that the ordinary average citizen cannot access bread. And we know that without bread, Zimbabweans cannot live because it is the basic of the basics when it comes to the food basket. But beyond the question of bread, beyond the question of the currency, what are the underlying macroeconomic factors that are contributing to the currency volatility and currency instability? Number one, we do not have a productive economy. Currency is a store of value. The Zimbabwean dollar is not begged by anything. It's not begged by gold. It's not begged by production. It's not begged by a, 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 a labor force that is, that, that is employed and paying taxes in the form of payee and other forms of taxation. So what this means is that we have just introduced money supply or broadened money supply in the economy without addressing fundamentally the basics when we look at the, at the macroeconomy of Zimbabwe. So Professor Mutulu Nibe and Dr. John Mangujga, the head of the Reserve Bank, uh, of Zimbabwe is of the view that if we increase money supply, this will affect or change the exchange rate, but in the, in the positive. But ironically, the exchange rate continues to spiral out of control. As of today, one United States dollar gets you 70 Zimbabwean dollars, a worrying trend. And as we are all aware that as the inflation continues to increase, hyperinflation continues to increase, the prices of basic commodities continue to increase, which means that the ordinary average soldier, the ordinary average civil servant cannot afford to lead a decent lifestyle with three meals a day, which is recommended not only by the World Health Organization, but by the Consumer Council of Zimbabwe. So these are some of the worrying trends in the economy. And we are clear that the solution is a democratic developmental state, which is anchored on the values of transparency, the values of accountability, the values of meritocracy, the values of pragmatism and honesty. We need to copy what the East Asian Tigers did in the late 1950s and the early 1960s, South Korea, Malaysia, uh, and, 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 and other countries in the East Asian uh, economic bloc. These countries did not follow the neoliberal economic route that Professor Mtulinube has decided to follow since he became Minister of Finance through introducing the Transitional Stabilization Program, through introducing the regressive 2% tax. But not only should we copy what the East Asian Tigers did, we should also craft internally crafted economic policies that are unique to the, Zimbabwean, to the Zimbabwean scenario. As of now, what is begging our economy is mining. But we are all aware that mining is not, is not labor intensive, it is capital intensive. So we should shift our focus from mining 
back to agriculture why agriculture because agriculture can be labor absorptive you can employ a lot of people in agriculture and when you employ a lot of people in agriculture you create purchasing power where there is purchasing power there is aggregate demand also we need to address the fiscalities that continues to characterize our economy our fiscal space is limited government needs to expand its fiscal space and we have given solutions as to these and other issues on how to solve the economic mess but politics needs to be solved in zimbabwe we cannot continue on the politics on binary politics on the politics of toxicity the mdc needs to put its, to put its house in order zanu pf needs to stop threatening journalists like hobo jingono who continue to expose corruption we need a consensus state a consensus state is a result of deliberations by citizens but in the second segment of the show comrades i'm going to in- to interview comrade takuzonga dziore the president of the zimbabwe national students union let's get into the second segment thank you so much thank you so much comrades welcome to the second segment of hashtag shaping politics i'm nobis damlambo and i'm joined as i promised earlier on by comrade takuzonga dziore the president of the Zimbabwe National Students Union the country's leading student body formed in the year 1997 is the president currently is he started his two year tenure and today I'm going to discuss among other things the state of higher tertiary education in Zimbabwe I'm also going to discuss with him issues around the education policy pursuant to the national covid-19 lockdown regulations comrade president Thank you for joining us on Shipping Politics. Thank you very much for hosting me completely. Thank you so much. So, Mr. President, yes. first and foremost, what is the opinion of the Zimbabwe National Students Union with regards to the reopening of universities in particular that fourth year students in their final years should be at university? Are the measures in place to protect students so that they don't uh, contract COVID-19? Thank you very much. I think the, this is a background question in which we need firstly to respond to matters within the national discourse because of course schools are being reopened because there is a pandemic which is tending to become an epidemic mm-hmm. but we ought to understand that the economy already was collapsing. Mm-hmm. These students are going but transport problems were there. Mm-hmm. These students are going but there already has been exorbitant fees already been implemented by these institutions. Mm-hmm. So it's important before talking about the reopening of schools to have a background and also a clear picture mm-hmm. of the state of the nation and also the national discourse and how it is crumbling. Mm-hmm. However, it is also important responding to how these institutions are open mm-hmm. to note that only an Egyptian prophet mm-hmm. who can guarantee when covid-19 is going to end mm-hmm. we only and only who can give an, an ultimate answer as to should we open or should we not so open. is it the, is it a concern for this nas under your leadership that institutions of higher learning are reopening in particular as the ministry says or as the government says for final year students don't you think It's noble that final years complete their studies or we are saying we should wait as you say for an Egyptian prophet to tell us that covid-19 is no longer a reality do you think people should complete their studies our vision and our aim as the Zimbabwe National Students Union is mm. to make sure that we rescue the academic year mm. and by that we mean that priority classes mm. should resume mm. we mean that priority classes should perpetuate with their studies mm. and also continue because these are the cream de la cream of this nation these are the parameters of class consciousness mm. who are going to cascade mm. and also contribute to the economic quagmire in our nation mm. so henceforth as the Zimbabwe National Students Union we believe utterly that those doing the priority classes the final year final semesters in number 2 those doing practicals should reopen but with utmost concern that number 1 their health mm. the government should make sure that the provision of test kits masks sanitizers and also that the regulations speculated and also enlisted within the world health organization guidelines should mm. be followed mm. and that should be a guarantee by the government of Emerson Damazimaka so has the government engaged you as a student body when they came up with the decision to reopen institutions of violence where it was just an arbitrary decision that was made without consultation where you did professor murwira for example engage the students union or SRCs that are under your leadership i think uh, to give the lunatic elaconic mm. it is much more important to note that we ourselves engaged mm. professor murwira he did not engage us oh, because okay. we feel that at most it's our role and duty to have concern mm. we do not mm. mind if professor murwira is not going to engage us mm. with matters pertaining to the health of those we need mm. we need to engage him and make sure that we, whatever stand that he is taking is addressed and if it's going to be discombobulating in what we believe in mm. it ought to be addressed mm. and we met with professor mawira we told him the position of the union and the position of the the students the, in zimbabwe yes thank you so much so we have exhausted this issue on the reopening of of, of institutions of higher learning and as you put it 
priority classes, uh, yes. final year students in their final semesters, you are in agreement. But yes. generally, you are saying there should be provision for the health care of these students. Yes. Thank you so much. I, I want to move to, to, to a next segment. Uh, Zinasu has been characterized as um, a movement that is in sync with what they call in mainstream media or in the ruling establishment an agent of regime change. Are you for students or are you for the democratic opposition? What is the role of the students' union? Not only in representing students, but in the broader national politics in Zimbabwe. Can you clarify that? Are you an appendage of the MDC or you are independent from the MDC? Whatever the formation of the MDC, be it alliance or T, what is the state or the relationship between the MDC in whatever its form and, and the Zimbabwe National Students Union? Okay, thank you very much. I think it would be a miscarriage of justice for mm. me to deny that we do have mm. a relationship with the movement of democratic change. Mm. However, mm. that will never confuse our own independence and sovereignty as a union. Mm. And in response to the role of the union mm. to the national discourse or the nation at large, mm. I would want to relate it with my role as the president of the Zimbabwe National Students Union, which is shaped and anchored on the revolutionary name of our icon, the first president of the movement. Mm. which is Lenmo Tudato. Okay. But the L, I will replace it with an I mm. to be standard for by ideological orientation and clarity. Mm. The E, the engagement of progressive stakeholders and former student leaders. Mm. The A, which, is, which tends now to say we want to assert, defend the history, name and culture of the union. Mm. The R, we are reviving the internal structures. Mm. The N, we are navigating towards a non-partisan union. Okay. When we go to the M, mm. we are going to talk about the modernization of communication channels and also our recruitment channels. Mm. When we go to the O, we are operationalizing student representative councils. Mm. When we go to the R again, we are reaffirming the students' collective power within mm. the national discourse. Mm. When you go to the E, we are now evaluating all historical loopholes, mm. number one, to meet the needs and wants of the living who are just but existing, mm. the dead who thought they had liberated Zimbabwe, mm. and much more importantly, they had to be born, who have no idea generally that thoughtless dictators mm. who believe mm. in plutocracy, autocracy, mm. and gerontocracy exist. Okay, so if I get you correctly, it's, your role is beyond representing students, because students naturally have before you are students, in short, you are saying you are also Zimbabwean citizens. Yes. So you are participating in national politics. Yes. So don't you think that that then produces an antagonistic relationship between the relevant ministry of higher and tertiary education and the union itself? When, when, when you talk about gerontocratic leadership, when you talk about autocracy, when you talk about kleptocracy and all the autocracy and the crisis that you, that you, that you made allusion to, is NASA not compromising its independence from being a student movement cascading into international politics. What, what, what's your comment on that? Okay, first of all, I think we ought to understand that students in their very nature, they are human beings. Mm. They are stakeholders between a, a societal institution which is called a family. Mm. So we can never be confined to a, speci to a specific uh, area in mm. terms of, I uh, know this is a student, so talk about student matters. Okay. They are human beings, so we ought also to cascade and also talk and address to the national issues. Mm. And in responding to the national issues, the Zimbabwe National Students Union has been at the forefront from the very own, uh, when we talk about the challenging of the one-party state, mm. Congress like Lenmo Judah Jongwe mm. had been dedicated enough to shape the politics of this nation. Mm. So henceforth, uh, moving on to the national discourse, it's mm. just but a right. It's just by, but normal to us. Thank you, Comrade Prez. So in short, you are saying be, before you are students, you are citizens and you have to participate. And so you, to your general membership, you are saying participate in politics. Of so speaking of politics, yes. the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on uh, Legal Justice and Parliamentary Affairs, uh, this week actually through Minister Ziambi Ziambi indicated that public hearings into Constitutional Amendment Bill Number 2 are going to resume, notwithstanding yes. the statutory instrument number 83, which talks about the regulations on, on, on the national lockdown on coronavirus. What is the, the position of students? I remember in the late 2000s, there was the Take Charge campaign that was led by the Zimbabwe National Students Union, then under the likes of um, Clever Dabere. Yeah. Now that the constitution faces a risk of being amended by, by, by the government, what is the role of the students? Do you support constitutional view amendment number two? If not, what are your reservations? And do you think we should have the public hearings now in the midst of, of a pandemic? Thank you very much, Comrade Padam Lambo. I think number one is to attain a sustainable address of the legitimate question. Okay. Number two, 
we are saying we need economic revival. Mm. Of course, I understand that you are much more interested in matters to do with the economy. Mm. And I'll just give at least uh, three points mm. to make sure that uh, this becomes more clear within mm. this COVID-19. Mm. So uh, it's important to note that uh, deepening intra-Africa trade, while well, yesterday this COVID-19 is important, creating conducive and consistent economic policies. Mm. But now that leads me to number three mm. uh, of our five-point pillar plan within mm. the national discourse. Number three is to make sure that we have adherence to constitutionalism. Okay. Number four is to make sure that we have security sector reform. Mm. And number five is to make sure that we prioritize education. Mm. So in, in that context of those five issues, we have already said that adherence to constitutionalism must be respected. Mm. And that is a position now to address the amendment view, which is which is now uh, being addressed. And we have a resolution, according to our... Uh, in, in, reference with our general council, mm. which is responding to this amendment bill, because mm. we feel like the constitution has not been implemented enough. Okay. Thus, for, we cannot amend that which, which we have not implemented. Mm. As a union, we believe that the constitution is correct, mm. the constitution is right, but mm. those who have uh, been there in power, mm. those who have been leading in power, mm. need to make sure that these issues within the constitution are addressed first, before talking about the, the amendment. The amendment of the constitution. President Takuzo Agadziore. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, comrades. The Students' Union has said that it does not support the amendment of the Constitution. The Students' Union, as you heard from the national leaders, also equally said that they are entitled, as per their rise in the national constitution, to go beyond representing students, but also participating in national politics. We, I think he clearly articulated the role of the union in, in, national, in the national, national discourse. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. And I hope that next week, We'll also have yet another guest, and my hope is that we have the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions President, Comrade Peter Gift Mtasa, to articulate the role of workers as the economy continues to slide into a precipice. I remain Mobisidam Lambo, your host. Thank you so much. Aluta continue.